you can feel the boulders hitting the ground within the river through your feet. That's how much water power is coming down. Hey guys, I'm Ezra David Romero. And I'm Carrie Klein. This is Outdoorsy, a podcast from Valley Public Radio. We take you to wild places in Central California and introduce you to people who explore them. Hey Ezra, I've got a really important question for you. What did one tectonic plate say when it bumped into another? I have no idea what they say. Sorry, my fault. Okay. Wait, I got a better one. Which cheese was most popular at the geology party? Um, I don't know. Something aged? Debris. It won by a landslide. Oh, man. Okay, well, listeners, get ready. Today's episode is all earth science puns. Just kidding. But it is about the earth and about the natural resources all around us. Natural resources can include a lot of things, like water, historical artifacts, and animal species. But today we're focusing on things like rocks, gems, and ancient fossils. We'll tell you how to find neat resources like these in and around the valley, and how you and your kids can learn more about them. So we've had a really wet winter and spring this year. Reservoirs are brimming, and rivers are full. All that water is moving a lot of rocks down rivers. I wondered what all that water was loosening up and carrying down waterways. So to find out more, I hung out with a few folks who know a lot about the subject, gold prospectors. We went out to the Fresno River near the mountain town of Oakhurst. Meet Larry Riggs. He's been gold prospecting since he was six. He's now 69. That's a piece of gold. That little speck? That little speck. I've had three pans and I've found three or four pieces of gold. Riggs is the claim director for the 900-member Central Valley Prospectors Club. They hold monthly meetings, have several claims across the state, and teach kids how to pan for gold at schools. Only about a third of their members are women, but Riggs says many times they have better luck than men do. His wife, Kathy, is sifting through soil along the river. She admits that often Larry pays attention to where she pans for gold. I don't know if it's because we like jewelry or what, but there's a good sense of where it is. And we used to have races to see who would find the most gold. And usually I would win. Because he goes by science and I go by feel. Mark White, the group's director, also met up with us. He says all the runoff melting in the Sierra Nevada is creating perfect conditions to find gold. You can feel the boulders hitting the ground within the river through your feet. That's how much water power is coming down. So anytime you have that hydro movement, you have gold movement. You have things breaking loose. That's why White, the Riggs, and two of their friends are searching through rock and sand in the river for the precious metal. And at $1,200 an ounce, they say every flake they find is worth it. White says all you need to find gold along mountain streams, lakes, and rivers is a shovel and a pan specifically made for gold panning. The pans we use have three ridges on one side that trap fine flakes. Riggs and I waded a few feet into the river and dug into the soil under a calm area of water. Now what you want to do is get the whole pan underwater okay. and just shake it. And then reach in and grab those roots and shake those in there. Riggs was excited to bring me out panning for my first time. He told me the goal is to get all the big stuff out and hopefully just get down to sand and flakes. We'll get you some gold today. He says you can sift the rocks from the soil using a metal net, but we just pluck the rocks out with our fingers. Riggs looks at each rock in the sun to see if there's a vein of gold in it. He says a rock with gold embedded in it can be worth more than gold itself. 
When the rocks are gone, Riggs has me slowly swoosh water around the pan while letting excess dirt and water out of it. You're a quick learner. <laughs> right? Yeah, and you're getting it down to black sand now. That's what you want. You can kind of turn and get the whole thing in the sun. It helps you. Okay. Let me help you a little bit. Sure. Riggs says gold is really heavy, so it's usually the last thing left in the pan. Is this gold? That's gold. Oh. That one's gold. Found some gold. I think I saw two pieces of it. I did too. That'll be yours because you have it. Gold panning is really simple, but could be very addicting. Before we left, the group warned me about an illness they've all had at one time in their lives. They're talking about gold fever, where people may do crazy things for gold because of its worth. Mark White, the group's director, says people have murdered each other over the precious metal, and not just during gold rush times. It can get real ugly real fast, the bigger the gold, and uh, nowadays it's a little bit better. Back in the old days, they just drop you and take it. You don't want to be bragging too much or strutting around too much, but you do want to come out and enjoy yourself. That's why White says it's important to make sure it's legal to gold pan in the area you intend to go to. He says you can call the Central Valley Prospectors Group to find out more. And as I left, I slipped my tiny vial of gold flakes into my pocket and drove down the hill back to Fresno. But not before the old timer asked me a question. How did you feel when you first saw it? I had a little rush. You betcha. When you walked away, I was like, I have gold fever. So Ezra, you've got gold fever. Yeah, I love it. Me, I like digging around for shiny objects too, but I go more for just pretty rocks and cool looking crystals. Tell me more. Well, I was wondering, if people are still finding gold around here, what else lies beneath the surface? To find out, I wanted to find a rock collector. Surprisingly, my search didn't take me to a mountain community or an active mining town, but a military town in the middle of Agland, Lamore. This is Pereira's Jewelry and Design. It's a jewelry store that's been in downtown Lemoore for 30 years. I do feel like sometimes we're becoming the historians downtown only because we've been here so long. John Pereira runs the store with his wife, Judy. They've got walls full of glittery diamonds, gold, and silver, but they've also got cases full of blue, brown, and green minerals John's collected from around California. Not only is John a jeweler, Ezra, but he's a lapidary, which means he can cut and facet rocks and crystals, and he's a self-diagnosed rock hound. I like to look for bonitoite. I like to look for jade, like nephrite jade and jadeite. Uh, I like to go out in the desert, look for agates and jaspers and some quartz materials, chalcedonies. You've likely seen those minerals before. They're pretty common in jewelry and art pieces. Jasper, chalcedony, and agate are found in a variety of colors from reds to blues to vibrant stripes, and they're similar in composition to the common crystal quartz. Jade minerals come in a range of creamy greens and blues that lend themselves nicely to sculpture. Bonito White's less common. It's a blue gemstone, which happens to be the state gem of California. All of these, John finds out in nature, and he brings them back into his work. All of the agate and jasper and bonito white and druzies, all of those things we make. We make probably half of what you see in here, and a good part of the colored stone jewelry. John started the Lemoore Gem and Mineral Club a few years ago, and for a couple years, he and Judy even helped organize some local gem shows. On the day I visit, he's laid out a table with some samples he's collected from around California. He dips them in water to show me what they'll look like when they're polished. Some of these are hyper-local, like this lovely crystal that almost looks like a big hunk of pink Himalayan salt. 
What's this? Uh, what's this pink? This stuff? is rose quartz, and this I can't remember the name of the actual location, but this is found kind of above and east of Delano, kind of between Delano and Porterville up in the hills up there. Another rock in John's collection might be a little easier to overlook. On first glance, it just looks like any other brown spotted rock. But after some work from a lapidary like John, the colors pop out into a bright artist's palette. It's called Rainbow Ledge, and it's a combination of jasper and agate found in Ridgecrest, not too far from Bakersfield. And the patterns vary a little bit. See, so you've got some agate running through the, the jasper. It's so striking. It is. It's very pretty when it's polished up. It doesn't look like much when you see it like this, but when you polish it, it has a lot of color. There's plenty more around California if you're willing to drive a fair ways further. John finds petrified wood and blue and green chalcedony out in the Mojave Desert, and he says you can find all different types of jade in a few coves on the coast near San Simeon. John says one of his favorite stones is pearly, lustrous opal. But for me, standing in the middle of his store, I gravitate toward a display full of deep blue crystals near the front window. This is where we display the Bonito White. I have a little bit of everything there from finished jewelry to um, specimen pieces. Bonito White looks almost like sapphire, but the blue is a little bit softer. And the specimen pieces, which are basically just Bonito White crystals in their natural rock, are gorgeous. The mineral was first found in southeast San Benito County, not far from the edge of Fresno County. It's rare and it can actually be worth a lot. John says he finds really nice samples up around Clear Creek in Lassen County, but you can actually find Benitoite at the site where it was originally mined. It's called the Cal State Gem Mine and it's out near Colinga. You can sift through tailings for any chunks left behind from the mining process. You pay $70 for the day and you can take whatever fits in the bag they give you. We just had a young couple in here about a month ago. They went up there for the day, and the first shovel of dirt they took out of the tailings had a large bonitoite crystal that's probably going to cut a stone, depending on, on what the faceter thinks of it, they'll get something from 1500 to maybe as much as $6,000 out of it. It's, it's a really pretty stone. So rock hounding seems like it is what you make of it. It can be a hobby, but you might be able to make some money out of it or fold it into your career, like John has. Yeah, some people just want to look at the rocks. They put them on a shelf, and that's as far as it ever goes. Some people get into cutting and polishing. Some people like to make spheres out of them. There are just a lot of aspects of it. If you're thinking of getting started, it's important to always know where you're going and what the laws are about whether or not you can harvest the materials you find there. To get to know the ins and outs of mineral prospecting, John recommends joining a local gem and mineral club. You can attend meetings, join field trips, and even take classes on becoming a lapidary. There are a bunch of clubs in the valley, not only Lemoore, but also Fresno, Bakersfield, Colinga, Visalia, Porterville, and many others. We'll have more information on our website. Wait, what's going on? This isn't our usual music. What are we listening to, Carrie? Okay, it's from a video. It'll make sense in a minute. You know how for our final segment, we usually talk about gear or food? Yeah, like chunky bread. I love it. <laughs> no chunky bread today, unfortunately. Um, but today I decided to do something a little different. Time travel. Wait, what? Shh, the video's starting. Today, during your visit, we will be taking you back in time to Fairmead, California, 700,000 years ago. We will travel to a time before humans were here, a time of gigantic beasts, ferocious carnivores, 
and a variety of animals that are now extinct. This is the intro video at the Fossil Discovery Center in Chowchilla. Oh yeah, I think I've seen signs for it on Highway 99. Yeah, you should stop there sometime. You can just find that video on YouTube if you want, but it's so cool to actually be there in person. Right inside the door, you're face to face with a giant skeleton standing two stories tall. This is the Columbia Mammoth and stood about 14 feet tall and could weigh uh, approximately 10 tons. My tour guide was Michelle Piscina, manager of the museum. And yeah, there's a replica mammoth skeleton in Chowchilla. It ate 300 to 600 pounds of grass a day. It had uh, six sets of four molars each for its uh, life. And when it lost its last set of molars, it would pass away because can no longer eat, so the teeth were very, very important to this animal. This is the museum's centerpiece, but there's a lot of other stuff here too, and the museum is here almost by mistake. Wait, what do you mean? It wouldn't be around at all if it hadn't been for trash. Trash? Well, this center uh, got started as a result of the find in May of 1993 of a Colombian mammoth tusk at the Fairmead landfill. You know, usually when I'm in Madera County, it's all farmland. I didn't think mammoths once lived there. Yeah, if you think about it, this place wasn't always farmland. That mammoth tusk is around 700,000 years old, from a time period known as the Pleistocene. For reference, that may seem like a really long way back, and it is way before modern humans had evolved. But by that point, human ancestors elsewhere in the world had already begun using tools and learning to control fire, and it's way after the dinosaurs. Back in modern-day Madeira, there isn't a lot left over from that time period. So finding that tusk spurred on a local paleontology frenzy. In the 25 years since then, they've uncovered over 13,000 fossils at the landfill across the street. This uh, effort is called salvage paleontological effort because the priority, of course, is for the populace to have a place to put their garbage. It was incidental that this find uh, occurred, but we, they still need to be valued as historical uh, artifacts. So there is a plan if they're digging and they come across a fossil to stop to where it can be evaluated. Through those efforts, paleontologists have gotten a pretty clear picture of what Pleistocene Madera County looked like. Michelle describes it kind of like the Serengeti. It was dry and desert-like, but it did have scattered water sources. And like in modern-day Africa, those oases drew in all sorts of animals. Some came to drink the water, and others were there to eat those animals. And those that died there left behind bones for us to find. We have mostly the Pleistocene horse. Then we have, um, of course, the Columbian mammoth and a variety of sloths that have been found, the camelops, the saber-toothed cat, and let me see, the dire wolf and the short-faced bear. What's a camelops? Is it like some kind of weird-looking camel? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, it's an extinct group of camels, similar to dromedaries. But what really surprised me was the dire wolf. It's a fierce carnivore I've only heard of because of the fantasy author George R.R. R. Martin. I, um, I had never heard of a, a dire wolf before the Game of Thrones series. I can't believe that's an actual species. Uh, yes, I've uh, also watched the Game of Thrones and uh, dire wolf uh, has attained almost a mythical quality. But the dire wolf was definitely a carnivore that roamed our area. So it's not just mammoths here. They've got display cases full of local minerals and rocks, posters about ancient plants, and replicas of the skeletons of all the major mammals found in the area. Did they have any saber-toothed tigers? They're like my favorite extinct creature. 
You know, I, I liked them since I was a kid. Yeah. Uh, Michelle actually brought me over to a saber-toothed cat skull that you could touch. She told me to check out their huge saw-like canines. I will have you touch the back of this one. It's a replica to touch the serration. You feel the serration? Whoa. Yeah, which I, that was a fascinating thing to learn. It was just like a knife. Kind of gives me chills. It, it, it is. They were a fierce creature. And the other thing they could do is fully open their uh, jaws to take in the head or body parts. They were completely opened past almost 90 degrees there. Michelle says around 10,000 students come through the museum every year, so almost everything's interactive. In fact, according to Michelle, one of the most popular exhibits is a mock dig. Near their artificial pond out back, they have a big sand pit where they've buried a few dozen bones for kids to dig up. She pulls out a brush to show me how it works. We show them uh, how a uh, paleontologist would approach this, and so we show them how to carefully move the dirt off. They would put them in partners usually, and then that they would use a brush. Of course, they would have other tools. And then outside they have one of these binders and they're able to identify what they're digging up. But one of my favorite exhibits wasn't about extinct animals, but about people. One person, actually. It's an homage to Mary Anning, the first known female paleontologist. She's British and she's got no connection to California that I'm aware of. So I think it's especially cool that the curators chose to highlight her and her contributions to the field of paleontology. It sounds pretty cool. I totally want to go. Yeah, I think you should. And anybody should who's got kids, especially if you're looking for a way for them to play and actually learn something. Plus, it's right off the 99 between Madera and Chowchilla. You can stop by on your way to collecting cool rocks in Northern California. And that's today's show. Check out our website for rock and mineral clubs near you and where to get a gold pan. Share a picture of yourself on the hunt for rocks and gems on Instagram or Twitter. We're at OutdoorsyPod on both. Our editor is Joe Moore, and we had engineering help from Don Weaver. Our music is by Kevin McLeod and Ben Sound. Stay tuned for future shows when we visit other wild places and interview the people who love them. For Outdoorsy, I'm Carrie Klein. And I'm Ezra David Romero. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.